Welcome to The Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Orlando, Florida, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. If you're enjoying the podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. I do want to encourage you to check out our other podcast, and today I'm highlighting the Old Time Radio Snack Wagon. The Old Time Radio Snack Wagon is a podcast that I began last year, in which every week we bring a shorter run bit of old time radio to you, whether it is a self-contained program or an excerpt of a much larger show. It's great if you just need to listen to something and you're going somewhere quick. It's currently on hiatus, but will be returning next Monday the 12th. Uh, And you can subscribe as well as catch all of Season 1 over at snackwagon.net. And you can find links to all of our other podcasts over at the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio homepage at greatdetectives.net. Well now, let's go ahead and get into this week's Yours Truly Johnny Dollar Serial. Now, we will be playing the final episodes on Friday, so if you're minded to listen to the entire serial in one sitting, you can pause the episode now and then come back on Friday, finish listening to this, and listen to the concluding part. Now, this is one of those serials that's missing an episode. It's the last one where we'll have to deal with this. And so I will play episode one for you, and then I'll come back and using John Abbott's great book, The Who Is Johnny Dollar Matter, I'll provide a summary of what happened in episode two, and then we'll listen to episode three. So now let's go ahead and bring you episode one of... The Imperfect Alibi Matter from September 17th, 1956. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. This is Joe McNabb, Northeast Indemnity. Hi, Joe. Good to hear your voice. It's not mutual, Johnny. And I always thought you cared. Whenever I hear your voice, it's because I'm in trouble. Oh, what is it this time? Ever hear of Harvey Stone? Sure, the Stone Corporation. And Stone Enterprises and the Stone Foundation. Sounds like he's a foundation himself. Practically. Late 30s bachelor. Took over the management from his father, E.J., when the old boy got crippled up with arthritis last year. So? So the total amount of insurance we're carrying on him is over 100,000. So? He lives in New York, Westchester County. Last night he was driving along a road in the country. A small object hit his windshield. Oh, look, Joe, don't tell me you want me to investigate a claim for a broken windshield. I sure do, Johnny. That small object was a bullet. Tonight, and every weekday night, Bob Bailey in the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Northeast Indemnity Associates, Hartford, Connecticut. 
following is an account of expenditures during my investigation of the imperfect alibi matter. Expense account item one, one dollar even, taxi to the office of Northeast Indemnity where Joe McNabb was waiting for me. It's kind of a complicated situation, Johnny. Yeah, well, it usually is when people get shot at, Joe. Now, mind, we're not sure the bullet was meant for Harvey Stone. He's inclined to brush the whole thing off, think somebody might have been doing a little target practice in the woods. Stray shot, huh? Well, could be. Yes, yes, but with the kind of insurance we're carrying on... Yeah, him, better give me a rundown on him. Harvey's father, E.J., built up the business, a widower. Two years ago, he remarried. Last year, he had to retire. He's in a wheelchair now. I see. Well, now Harvey is running things. Lives with his father and stepmother in a big place in Westchester County, but he also keeps a small apartment on East 57th in Manhattan. Uh-huh. Any trouble in the family? Anything like that? Harvey's been running around lately with a supper club singer named Helen Barrett. I gather he's thinking of marrying her. I also gather his family is bitterly opposed to the idea. How about Harvey's business affairs? Could he have made any enemies there? One, at least. Who? Dutch Krieger. Know him? Yeah, I sure do. A gambler with a lot of dough behind him and a couple of gunsels in front. That's the one. How come he got mixed up with a character like Krieger? He didn't. He refused to. Come again. Krieger's put on a big act about going legitimate. Young Stone was negotiating a sizable real estate transaction recently. Found out that Krieger was one of the associates in the deal. He threatened to call it all off. Made the other associates kick Krieger out. Oh, Dutch wouldn't forget a thing like that. No, he wouldn't. Well, who's the beneficiary on Stone's insurance policies? Father and stepmother, jointly. Johnny, I smell trouble. I want you to go down there and nose around, see what you can turn up, and do me a slight favor. Sure. What is it? Keep Harvey Stone alive, will you? Expense account item two, $12.50, transportation and incidentals to the Stone Estate in Westchester County. It was one of those massive, dignified-looking places, nestling comfortably in about ten acres of grounds. The butler showed me into a room only about half as big as Grand Central Station, so I wandered around inspecting the paneling and the Italian works of art. Then I zeroed in on one of the paintings. It involved a luscious lady, a bunch of grapes, and a pool of water. Nice, isn't it? Hmm? Yeah. The painting, I mean. Quite nice, isn't it? Oh, yeah, if you like grapes. You must be... I'm uh... Mrs. Stone, Mr. Dollar. Daphne Stone. Mrs.? I didn't know the wedding had taken place. My, you are behind the times. It took place two years ago. Two... Well, I... Uh... I'm Mrs. E.J. Stone. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, uh, is your uh, stepson here? Harvey, he should be back any minute. He had to run into the city. But let me give you a tip, Mr. Dollar. Don't call Harvey my stepson in front of him. Oh. You see, he and I are just about the same age, and he's... Yeah, oh, okay, I'll remember. Uh, how about Harvey's father? Is he here? Yes, my husband will be along in just a moment. He has to get around in a wheelchair now, but he's very stubborn. Won't let anyone push him. Well, uh, Mrs. Stone, I think you know why I'm here. Yes, of course. About that absurd thing that happened to Harvey last night. Absurd? Well, isn't it ridiculous to think that it was an attempt on his life? After all, he will go tearing around these roads at night in his sports car. Probably someone out hunting. Is or... that what you think, Mrs. Stone? What else could it be? Nobody has any reason to kill Harvey. 
everything harmonious here at home, I suppose. Of course. How about Harvey's plans to marry Helen Barrett? Oh, yes, that. That? Mr. Dollar, say, I'm getting a little weary of that name. It's Johnny, isn't it? Yeah. And Daphne. Johnny, let me give you another tip. <laughs> you seem to be full of them. Uh, what's this one, Daphne? I wouldn't mention Harvey's fiancé to his father. Oh? Mr. Stone is quite violently opposed to the match. How about you, Daphne? How do you feel about it? Why, anything Harvey wants. Oh, Edward, this is Mr. Dollar. Yes, yes, I know. Hello, Mr. Stone. That idiot McNabb from the insurance company phoned me about you, Dollar. Worries like an old woman. Seems to think that fool accident Harvey had last night is an attempted murder. Oh, he's just taking normal precautions, Mr. Stone. Precautions. Well, just as well, I suppose. Harvey could use a nursemaid. He always manages to get things fouled up somehow. Now, Edward, You want to see my orchids, Dollar? Orchids? Of course you do. This way, out in the solarium. Okay. Oh, here, let me push you. Never mind. I can manage. All my good advice. Sorry, Daphne. This way, Dollar. I'll have a drink for you when you're ready, Johnny. Thanks. Well, here we are. Well, some orchids. Who cares about orchids? Just wanted to talk to you. Well? What do you make of this business, Dollar? About Harvey, I mean. That bullet in his windshield last night. You really figure somebody's trying to kill him? Well, I, I don't know, Mr. Stone. That's what I'm here to find out. Well, I don't know who it'd be. Harvey's not a bad sort, really. Terrible businessman. Oh? How so? Oh, I could run the Stone Corporation better than he does for my wheelchair. He, uh... Doesn't do things your way, huh? Nothing's like it used to be. Everything's done differently now. Maybe it has to be. Has to be. Business is business. Yeah. Well, how about his fiancée? I suppose you disapprove of her, too. Helen Barrett? <laughs> no, by golly, I... Gotta hand it to Harvey there. Don't quite know how we managed to land someone like her. Wait a minute. You mean you're not opposed to his marrying her? More power to him. Chip off the old block, I guess. What's that mean? Oh, I did the same thing. That's what... Picked himself a Broadway girl. You mean Mrs. Stone, Daphne? Right out of musical comedy. I see. How does she feel about Helen Barrett? Yeah, it won't seem to warm up to her. Oh, well, how can you figure out a woman? Yeah, how can you? So it's Daphne that disapproves of Helen. That's very interesting. Interesting? It's a nuisance. Here's your drink, Johnny. Oh, oh, thanks, Daphne. Uh, Mr. Stone, you're not having any? No, that fool doctor of mine says no. Edward, you look tired. Perhaps you'd better rest. Tired? Who's tired? Well, then just one more question, Mr. Stone. What is it? Do you know of anyone who might want to kill Harvey? Once in a while, I sure would. Edward. <laughs> I tell you, when I think of how he's running that business into the ground, I could... I could wring his neck. Edward, it's no time for jokes. Johnny, this whole thing is ridiculous. Harvey hasn't an enemy in the world. Well... Have you gotten me nicely taken apart by now, people? Oh, Harvey, dear. Hello, Daphne. Father? Well, this is Dollar, Harvey. Jimmy, isn't it? Uh, Johnny. Yes, I heard Mr. Dollar was coming. And why? How are you? You look tired, Harvey. Let me fix you a drink. Thanks. Darling. Thanks, darling. <laughs> you know, Dollar, sometimes I wonder which one of us is married to Daphne. That was a perfectly charming thing to say, Edward. Yes, Father. You seem to be in unusually good form tonight. This is for the benefit of our guests, no doubt. Uh, uh, look, if I could just talk to you for a moment, Harvey. Oh, don't mind these little exchanges, Johnny. If you're around this place very long, you'll get used to them. Ah, good night. Good night, Father. Mr. Stone. Like a drink now, Harvey? 
Oh, never mind, Daphne. I can manage. All right. I'll go on up then. I hope we'll be seeing you again, Johnny. Oh, you probably will. Good night. I, um... I'm sorry about that business with Father just now, Johnny. Most of the time, he thinks it's fine that Daphne and I get on so well together, but sometimes he doesn't. I suppose now he's in the wheelchair, he feels the difference in their ages even more. Yeah. And ever since I've taken over the management of the corporation, well... Oh, I'm sure he must have made it very clear he doesn't approve of my policies. And he's probably right. Oh? Well, my heart's not in it, really. But somebody had to take over. Look, uh, Harvey, you said you knew why I was here. Oh, sure. About that silly business last evening. Well, what exactly happened? Well, I have a new sports car that I'm fond of. I went for a drive. You know, there are some pretty good country roads around here. Mm -hmm. And I slowed for a sharp turn. And I heard what I thought was a backfire. But my windshield shattered. It was a bullet. What'd you do then? I stopped to warn whoever it was to keep away from the roads. It didn't occur to you that somebody might be trying to kill you? Oh, good Lord, no. Look, Johnny, I used to roam these woods when I was a kid, taking pot shots at fence posts. That's obviously what happened last night. You didn't see anyone when you stopped? No, it was probably some kid. He's probably still running. And you can't think of anyone who might want to kill you? Of course not. How about Dutch Krieger? Krieger, the gambler? I understand he was involved in a business deal you were thinking of making. You refused to go through with it until his associates dumped him. Of course. After all, the name Stone does have a pretty honorable history. I couldn't very well have it connected with somebody like Krieger. Well, Dutch wouldn't forget a thing like that. Uh, Look, about your fiancée, Helen Barrett... Uh, Johnny, I suggest you confine your questions to subjects not quite so personal. All right, so I sound nosy, but you're heavily insured, Harvey, and that bullet last night could have been meant for you. My job is to find out if there's anyone who could possibly have any reason to kill you. There isn't. Do you know of anyone who's opposed to your marriage? I told you I'd rather not talk about that. Anyway, there's a good chance there isn't going to be any marriage. No. What do you mean... Look, Johnny, I have a good idea. It's almost time for the last train into the city. I'll drive you to the station. A polite but firm message that the interview was over. Harvey got called to the phone and I went outside to wait for him. Daphne had lied when she told me Harvey's father opposed the marriage to nightclub singer Helen Barrett. It was Daphne who didn't like the idea. She and Harvey seemed pretty chummy and the old man didn't seem to like that. Harvey had crossed a rough boy named Dutch Krieger in a business deal, and it's a cinch Dutch didn't like that. And now Harvey just told me there might not be a marriage, which indicated some kind of trouble there. All in all, it looked like a cozy little powder keg. Then as I started for Harvey's car, the keg exploded right in my stomach in the form of a fist. I couldn't see who they were, but the two of them really knew their business, the way they worked me over. Hard enough to hurt, not hard enough to put me out. Finally, I guess they got bored. One of them did me a favor. He put me away. Now, here's our star to tell you about tomorrow's episode of this week's story. Tomorrow... Well, look, you should never get in a card game with a professional gambler. He can deal you any card he wants, even the ace of spades. The death card. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by Robert Reif, it is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Be sure to join us tomorrow night, same time and station, for the next exciting episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Roy Rowan speaking. Well, episode two was actually quite eventful. After kibitzing with Joe McNabb, Johnny goes to see Dutch Krieger, who he suspects of sending the assailant, and he actually spots the assailant in Dutch's club. Dutch uh, sits there flipping a coin and acknowledges knowing the assailant and drops an implied threat. Then Johnny talks with Helen, uh, who is worried about Harvey because of Dutch's threats. She also says the wedding is not off, but is being postponed due to family pressures. Johnny checks up on the Stone Corporation and finds everything over there is in good financial order. Then he gets a call from Helen, in which she states she'd found Harvey dead in his apartment after he decided to go to Mexico to go ahead with the wedding. Johnny calls the police, goes to see Dutch about it, but Dutch claims to know nothing about the killing. On his way out of Dutch's place, Johnny catches a picture of Daphne signed, To Dutchie, With All My Love. And that brings us up to speed. Here now from September 19th, 1956, is episode 3 of The Imperfect Alibi Matter. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Joe Ristelli at Homicide, Johnny. I was out when you called. Anything new on the Harvey Stone killing, Joe? Not a thing, but maybe we've already got all we need. Meaning Helen Barrett? We're still holding her. Joe, I don't think she did it. No? Oh, I know it all adds up to her, but... Well, just call it a hunch. Hunches are fine, Johnny, but facts are better. You want to hear some facts? I'll be right over. Tonight, and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. (laughs) Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. To the Home Office, Northeast Indemnity Associates, Hartford, Connecticut. Assignment, the imperfect alibi matter, location, New York City. Expense account continued. 
Item 8, $1.40. Cab fare to police headquarters from my hotel to talk to Lieutenant Joe Rostelli. Sit down, Johnny. Thanks. Facts, you said. Facts. Number one. Harvey Stone was shot in the left side of the forehead at close range with a 38 caliber Smith & Wesson. The gun was near the body. Any prints on it? No, it was clean. But Helen Barrett had gloves with him. Helen says she left Harvey's apartment and went to her own to pack up. They were going to elope. When she got back to his apartment, he was dead. So she told me, Johnny. I'd like to believe her, too. She seems like a pretty nice kid, but, uh... But what? Not enough facts in her favor. Who saw her leave Stone's apartment? We can't find anyone who did. What time did she leave? She can't remember. Did anyone see her return? What time? That's a lot of questions not to be able to answer, Johnny. Yeah, yeah, I know. What was the time of death? Medical examiner figures it's somewhere between 11.30 and midnight. Well, Helen told me she thought it was about 11 when she left Harvey's apartment and about midnight when she returned. Yeah, about. Even if she did leave, she only lives a few blocks away. It's a lot of time unaccounted for, Johnny. Yeah. Better fill me in on what you know. Well, as I get it, Harvey Stone took over the management of his father's corporation when old E.J. took to a wheelchair about a year ago. Yeah, yeah, I know. Two years ago, old E.J. married an ex-chorus girl named Daphne. Yeah, yeah. Well, she's about Harvey's age. The two of them were apparently pretty friendly, and the old man was bothered by it occasionally. Incidentally, he and Daphne are joint beneficiaries on Harvey's insurance policy. A hundred and fifty thousand worth. Sounds like you're trying to tie the old man into the killing. Be quite a stretch, Johnny, from his wheelchair up in Westchester County to Harvey's apartment on East 57. I know, but right now I'm more interested in Daphne. Oh? I told you last night I thought Dutch Krieger was mixed up in this. I went to his office afterward and spotted a picture of Daphne Stone on his wall. Inscription, all my love, signed Daphne. You think Daphne got Dutch to do her and himself a favor, huh? That's a possibility, isn't it? Sure, sure, it's a possibility. Trouble is, there are all kinds of possibilities. Right now, I got to stick with a probability, Helen Barrett. Uh-huh. How are you doing on motive for her? Not good, not bad. We know there was some question as to whether they were going to be married or not. Helen says the hesitation was on her part. But suppose it was the other way around. Harvey decided not to go through with the marriage? Yeah. Getting cut out of the stone money would hurt some girls plenty. Maybe this was her way of getting even with him for breach of promise. <laughs> you know, Joe, for a guy who loves facts, seems to me you're edging over into hunches, too. Well, I admit it isn't a closed case by a long shot. So let's get back to facts. Harvey was shot in the forehead with a 38 Smith & Wesson sometime between 11.30 and... Excuse me. Rostelli speaking. Who? What about? Oh, well, send him in. Somebody wants to see me about the killing. Oh. You Lieutenant Rostelli? That's right. Your hand on the stone killing? Trying to. I want to talk to you about it. Sit down. Thank you. What's your name? Gentry. Alvin Gentry. So what about the stone killing? I killed Harvey Stone. What? what? Let's have that again. I said, I killed Stone. I want to make a statement. Why did you kill him? He's making a play for my girl. I didn't like it. Your girl? You mean Helen Barrett? Who? Helen Barrett, Harvey Stone's fiancée. No, I don't know her. I mean my girl, Doris, a hat check girl at Barney's. Well, go on, go on. Well, Stone was on the make for her. Every time he came in Barney's, he'd make a play for her. I told him to lay off, and he wouldn't. He asked her to go away with him. I went to his apartment, I killed him. How'd you kill him? I shot him. Where? I told you, in his apartment. I mean, where did the bullet hit him? 
Oh, in the chest. What kind of gun did you use? Forty-five cold. What'd you do with the gun? I threw it in the river. Okay, Gentry, get out. What? I said, get out. But I told you... Yeah, you told me all right. Now I'm telling you, get out. Look, I don't understand. I'll tell you what you do. You just go on out of here and think it over. When you come back with a few facts straight... Facts? Yeah, like the caliber of the gun and where Stone was shot and the location of the gun. You get the facts straight and I'll be glad to listen to you. Now get out. Okay. Confessant Sam number one. Yeah, there's always a string of them. That's one reason we don't usually release the caliber of the gun to the papers, to help weed out these confessing Sam's. wonder why they do it. A psychiatrist was explaining it to me once. Something to do with repressed feelings of guilt, I think he said. Next one will probably say he stabbed Harvey Stone with a letter opener. Yeah. Well, I'm going to run out and have a talk with Daphne. Stully speaking. What? Right. Now, look, Mike, you take the statement, huh? Thanks. Well, I was wrong about the letter opener, Johnny. Oh? We got a guy now who claims he used a razor on Harvey. Slit his throat from ear to ear. As I left, I spent about three minutes feeling sorry for Estelle and his crank confessions, but then I dropped that routine and started feeling sorry for my own problems. The case against Helen Barrett looked pretty bad, but I still kept thinking of Daphne Stone's picture in Dutch Krieger's office. Expense account item 9320, transportation to the Stone Estate in Westchester County. I was shown into the king-size drawing room again to wait for Daphne. But then I saw a very interesting sight that wiped Daphne out of my mind for a moment. It was old E.J.'s wheelchair at the door to the solarium. And what was unusual about it was that it was empty. I edged toward the door. Then I got a glimpse of E.J. puttering around his orchids. He spotted me, though, and hobbled quickly to his wheelchair. With an abrupt wave, he wheeled into the hall and out of sight. A couple of minutes later, in came Daphne. Hello, Johnny. Daphne. Look, you said it was important that you talk to me, but I really don't feel much like talking after what's happened. I'm sure you understand. I think so. How's E.J. taking it? My husband is reacting as I suppose any father would who'd just lost his son. He's bewildered and hurt. You didn't tell me E.J. could navigate without his wheelchair. I saw him a minute ago inspecting his orchids. The wheelchair was parked near the door. I... I didn't think it was important, Johnny. It's true, he can be out of his chair for short periods, but it's rather uncomfortable for him. Out of his chair for how long? Not long enough to get into New York and back, if that's what you're wondering. Thanks. You told me it was E.J. who was opposed to Harvey's plans to marry Helen Barrett. But I found out that you were the one who was fighting it. I suppose it was foolish of me to pretend otherwise. I guess I just didn't want you to get any wrong ideas. About what? About the reason I opposed it. What's the right idea? The name of Stone means something, Johnny. Dignity, tradition, breeding. I doubt if someone like Helen Barrett, an entertainer, nice as she is, could keep that tradition alive. Are you kidding? I'm completely serious. Something like this happened once before with Harvey's secretary, Martha Winters. And you stopped it just like you were trying to stop him from marrying Helen. I don't like the way you put that. I merely persuaded him to think of the family name. <laughs> You know, you kill me, Daphne. 
do you mean by that? This dose of blue blood you've picked up. Aren't you a Daphne come lady yourself? How dare you? Save it. E.J. told me he lifted you out of a chorus line when he married you. Now, how about it? Yes, it's true. So where do you get off I with this? I don't suppose you'd ever understand this, Johnny. But there are chorus girls and chorus girls. This I know. I had to support my mother somehow. But all the while, I knew that life wasn't for me. And when I got a chance at this life, I took it. And since I married Edward, I've lived the way anyone with the name of Stone should live. I've put my past behind me. Even Dutch Krieger? Dutch? Yeah. Yeah, I saw your picture on his office wall. He was part of the past. It doesn't exist anymore. Isn't it kind of a coincidence he tried to worm his way into one of Harvey's business deals? I had nothing to do with it. And Harvey acted correctly in refusing to have anything to do with Dutch. I see. Then you opposed Harvey's marriage to Helen to protect the family name, huh? Just as I opposed the previous attachment to his secretary. Sure it wasn't because you didn't like the idea of competition? It's a... It's a pretty low thing to say under the circumstances. Well, just what are the circumstances? It's... It's very simple. I've lost someone who was... very dear to me. Even though I was Harvey's stepmother, we were practically the same age. Sure. I know people talked about it, made crude jokes about it. But I didn't care. Because I found in Harvey something I'd never had in my life before. Oh? What was that? A friend, Johnny. A real friend. I went back into the city... If I could only find somebody to establish the time period Helen had been away from Harvey's place. I went over to her apartment house, figuring there's always one tenant who knows everybody else's business. Five doorbells later, I found the one. Sure, I had to come in late, but I don't remember just what time. I was watching a program on the TV. There was this old man and woman. Yeah, yes, yes. You're sure it was Helen Barrett who came in? Well, I ought to be sure. She lives right under me. Besides, he was waiting for her and they had a talk. I couldn't quite hear what they were saying. She kept telling him to quiet down. Well, I mean, I... Well, I wasn't really paying any attention. It was... No, no, of course not. You said he was waiting for her. Who do you mean? Friend of hers. Lisa used to be. She used to go with him. Happen to remember his name? Sure. Gentry. Alvin Gentry. Alvin Gentry. It was Alvin Gentry who'd made the fake confession in Rostelli's office. At the time, there'd been nothing to tie him into the case. But now, according to Mrs. Carson, he was a friend of Helen's. My hunch about her innocence took a nosedive. Yeah, that confession he tried to make could be his way of trying to protect her. And that would add up to just one thing. Helen was guilty after all. Now, here's our star to tell you about tomorrow's episode of this week's story. Tomorrow, up pops an eyewitness and drives the final nail into the wrong coffin. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by Robert Reif, it is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Be sure to join us tomorrow night, same time and station, for the next exciting episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Roy Rowan speaking. Welcome back, a solid first couple of episodes. Uh, It does a great job offering us a lot of suspects as well as potential motives. It should be noted that the father being able to walk a good bit, even though he's normally in a wheelchair, is actually a very real situation. Uh, There are actually some people who, if they see someone walking around who's typically in a wheelchair, they think that the person in the wheelchair is just faking or somehow just doesn't need it. Of course, the truth is that there are a lot of conditions that are sometimes more or less severe on a given day and other conditions which can often have unpredictable effects. So they may opt to use the wheelchair just because they are in a location where if they had a flare-up or something of that sort, they would need to call an ambulance. It really does seem to be something that varies from case to case. Of course, in the case of the dad, he was obviously a workaholic and his condition forced him to retire, but he can still get about in some instances, although not likely across town to murder his son. Well, now we turn to listener comments and feedback, and we start out on YouTube. And Gary writes, I love this show. It's what the world needs to make us all level-headed again. Johnny Dollar, private fraud investigator. I know where you live. Never cheat or I'll, I'll find you, and you will pay tenfold. Well, thanks for the comment, Gary. Then another comment on YouTube. Uh, this one from... Shiloh, and Shiloh writes, Love the new thumbnails. I used to bristle out the updates, but you won me over with your new graphics. Salute. Well, thank you so much, Shiloh. Of course, this is something that's going on YouTube. About a month or so back, the company that I used to drive traffic to my YouTube videos started offering the ability to generate thumbnails, custom thumbnails. And I just kind of did it because it was fun. It was something they were offering and they explained that it was supposed to help, but didn't actually explain the reason for it. 
I did actually get some of the reasoning why I should be doing something different with the thumbnails. When I was at PodFest, like with the podcast, it's fine just to have your podcast cover art for your whole podcast. That's perfectly fine. That works uh, pretty well. YouTube, on the other hand, is a lot more visual, and it's about catching the viewer's eye. Even if it's something that they're just going to end up listening to, they're on YouTube, and they expect a thumbnail to get their attention. Understanding that, it's kind of a miracle that I've gotten as many views as I had by having a static image of the podcast cover art. And I've definitely seen that click-through rate rise. I try to come up with some good images that will look nice and really capture people's attention. It requires some finessing. I've got to be careful in particular with Mr. Chameleon because when I put Mr. Chameleon in, it produces... Like this hideous half-man, half-chameleon. And I've still got some ways to go with the images. I've gotten some tips from this week at PodFest. And I've also learned of a couple other programs and options for producing the thumbnails. And I may try those out as well. If you're not on YouTube, you can check out the YouTube thumbnails that we do post over at youtube.greatdetectives.net. And finally, we have a new review in the Apple Podcast Store. And uh, this comes from APT Andy, who writes, Like a curator at a massive art gallery, Adam takes great care to thoughtfully present radio detective shows from long ago. These shows might otherwise be lost to time. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate the uh, kind uh, review over there and taking the time to review us in the Apple Podcast Store. Now, I mentioned yesterday that I had hoped to go to SeaWorld uh, when I, while I was in Orlando and that I didn't think that was going to work. But I did get to visit Icon Park. I went on the wheel, which is kind of considered the counterpart to the London Eye. It's a Ferris wheel, and it has, instead of your typical Ferris field car, you've got an enclosed capsule. And you're able to really get a nice uh, view of Orlando from the air. I like a slow, relaxing ride. It's 22 minutes, and you can even choose your own soundtrack when you're riding in it. I listened to Jimmy Durante's song for Sunday because, of course, I was riding it on Sunday. And then I went to Sea Life, which is the Orlando Aquarium. And it was quite an experience. I don't know in terms of the variety of sea life they had there. That was all that outstanding. But the way they presented it, there were just some really cool visuals in how the aquarium was built. They have one portion of the aquarium where the fish were swimming above your heads and the way they set it up, it looked like you were underwater. And so it was a really fun experience. And 
there were other things that I could have done if I had time or energy. Not far from there, they had a whole Ripley's Believe It or Not museum and so many other things I could have gone through without ever going to any of the city's marquee attractions. So I was really impressed by that. So, travel log over. Now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. I do want to go ahead and thank Susan. Susan has been one of our Patreon supporters since October 2018, currently supporting the podcast at the Detective Sergeant level of $7.14 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Susan. And that will do it for today. If you're enjoying the podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. And if you're enjoying the podcast on YouTube, be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and mark the notification bell. We'll be back on Friday with the conclusion of this week's Yours Truly Johnny Dollar story. But join us back here tomorrow for Dangerous Assignment, where... Hey, just a minute, sporty! Huh? I want to have a little talk with you, if you Look, don't mind. Look, hurry, Buster. Stay where you are, I shoot. Oh, put that baby cannon away, Buster. Buster again. Allow me to introduce myself. I am Alex Pacos. I'm also the house detective. Surprise? House detective? Oh, great. We got complaints. A peeping Tom on the balcony, somebody says. So I come up here just in time to see you climbing off the balcony. Look, I can explain. Here, I'll show you my credentials. Don't do it. Don't try to pull a knife on me, sporty. A knife? Yet I'm only trying to show you my credentials. Hold still. I will get the credentials, eh? Oh, help yourself, but hurry it up, huh? Oh. He says you're an American government agent. Yeah, now, if you don't mind... Just a minute, Sporty. Now what? So you are Steve Mitchell, government agent. Forgive me for lying to you. I am not really Alex Pacos, house detective. I'm Napoleon. Okay, smart guy, and forgive me for lying to you. I'm really the Duke of Wellington. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.